What an incredible story. This Memorial Day weekend, on behalf of Auburn Community Church, I want to say a huge thank you to all of those who have sacrificed or are currently sacrificing for the freedoms that we enjoy as Americans. And the story of the Rawls family is an incredible picture of what God is doing here in Auburn, Alabama, through a family that is sacrificing so much. And we hope that you pray for them, that you would encourage them, but also that this weekend is a time for you to remember all that we should be so grateful for and proclaim our gratitude out loud. Welcome to church. As strange as it is to continue to say online, you are at church. My name is Miles Fidel, and I'm so grateful that you decided to be a part of Auburn Community Church today. And we believe that God has something so special. He's already doing something so special. Those songs being lifted up in this space, it is so powerful what God is doing right here at 323 Airport Road. And we believe God is going to do it in your living room, in community groups that are meeting at the lake, or maybe if you're lucky enough at a beach house right now and enjoying the holiday weekend that doesn't even really feel like a holiday weekend because of all the breaks that we've had recently but hey we will take it and we believe God is moving during this time we're going to go into our bringing time like we do every week we worship God through the bringing of our tithes and offerings and there's several different ways you can do that you can see it on the screen right now you can give on Venmo at Auburn Community Church you can mail checks and cash to 323 Airport Road Sweet O you can give online but the reason why we give is because of stories of life change that we hear week after week after week watching that video is just a reminder of how many stories are happening in the life of our church that we're completely unaware of, but that are so powerful. And more than ever, I miss gathering together because in these moments, I'm able to look at real faces and real stories that I actually know. But I'm just believing right now that spiritually speaking, God is uniting our hearts to one another. And what God is doing through Auburn Community Church during these days is so special. Now, we're going to have an update coming for you this week about what the coming Sundays throughout the summer are going to look like. And we're expecting God to do something so unique but so special this summer. I just want to ask you, for those of you who ACC is your church home, do not let summer 2020 be the time that you disengage from what God is doing at ACC. Let it be the time that you're fully tuned in through community. And like we talked about last week, you're surrounding yourself with people who are building you up in your faith. This is not the time to disappear. This is the time to tune in. And we are going to launch into a brand new sermon series, sort of, today. And the reason why I say sort of is because this is less of a series and more like three verses of scripture that I want us to look at and meditate on and squeeze out everything God wants to say through three of my favorite verses in the New Testament of your Bible. So, as always, if you have your Bible, hold it up. Hold it up in your living room. We're still holding it up at all the different locations that we're gathered together right now. I miss the Bible drill. Yes, I miss being together. I miss seeing everybody coming in on a Sunday morning or a Sunday night, but I miss the Bibles being lifted toward heaven. I miss single people in the room looking around, and hopefully and prayerfully we're going to be back together again with those moments. Turn with me 
to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. Some of you who have never been to our church before, you're like, why do you miss single people holding up their Bibles? You, just, you need to come visit us once we're meeting together again at 323 Airport Road. Matthew chapter 11, and we are going to start in verse 28. If you've been coming to church for a while, maybe you've been following Jesus for a while, immediately when I say that scripture reference, you probably know where this is going. These are some of the most famous words Jesus ever uttered, and rightfully so. The implications for our lives are so important. In the past year, I have read multiple books and am still in the process of reading more books on these three verses alone. What you need to know about the book of Matthew is that the gospel account of Matthew was written about the kingdom of God. So anytime you're reading Matthew, think kingdom. Think the life of Jesus, the kingdom of God coming to planet earth. And when Jesus announces the kingdom of God, he announces it in a way that totally throws off what people were expecting from the Jewish Messiah. See, the Jews were gathered together and expecting the Messiah to deliver them from oppression in Rome. But what Jesus brings is a deliverance from sin and death and hell. And in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus is acknowledging what his father has done that has surprised so many people. That Jesus was not the Messiah anyone was expecting, but he was so much better. And in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, Jesus explains in explicit detail what he has come to offer any human being who's willing to come to him. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. If you're there, say I'm there. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I tremble a little bit reading these words because I can feel the weight of what Jesus is inviting us into. Let me read them one more time. You'll have them memorized before this summer's over if you tune in with us. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let's just do a quick flyover of what we just read and start with the first three words, come to me. You gotta love that. The entire process of Christianity summarized in three words. Just come to Jesus. Notice when Jesus is giving out his invitation, there's not a prescribed list of rules and restrictions that need to be met before you make that journey to him. There's not all of these things that you need to get set in motion and all these apologies that you need to make. He just says, point blank, come to me. You're invited. Who's invited? All you, this is crazy, who are weary and burdened. Another translation says burnt out on religion. The requirement for coming to Jesus is a negative in our lives, which is shocking because you would think the head of a religion, and I don't believe Christianity is a religion, it's a relationship, but you would think if you were just assuming religion is about a positive attribute in a human being making their ascent toward God. Instead, Jesus says, make your journey toward me if you're what? If you're weary and burdened. 
What's the requirement to be a Christian? If you're tired of carrying your life by yourself, if you're tired of doing it your own way, if you feel like you're never going to get it right, if you feel like you just can't conjure up enough obedience, if you feel like nothing else is working, Jesus goes, you're number one on the list of who's called to come to me. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. And then what does he say? I will give you what? Punishment. I'll give you rules. I'll give you my list. I'll give you a journey. No, no, no. Off the top. Off the top. Come to me if you're weary and burdened. Here's what I got for you. Rest. Take my yoke upon you. Double meaning needs to come to your mind there. A yoke 2,000 years ago was a term for how oxen would plow a field. And they would attach this thing called a yoke to the neck of two oxen who would walk together, but they would put a weaker ox with a stronger ox, and the expectation would be as they walk together, the weaker one will be carried by the stronger one, and they'll get more work done. Jesus is inviting us to be joined to him, but yoke was also a term for sitting under the teaching of a Jewish rabbi. And, and the yoke represented the requirement of what it took to follow an individual. And Jesus is saying, hey, take my yoke and it's going to be easy and the burden will be light. He says, learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart. You need to understand that in 89 chapters of the New Testament, Jesus never ever fully unveils his heart and disposition towards humanity quite like he does in this verse. He says, if you want to know who I am naturally, unfettered and unaffected by anything that somebody else does to me, just who I am, who I can't help but be, gentle and humble in heart. What does it mean to be gentle? It's meekness. It means when you come to me, I'm not waiting to tell you how you've missed it or messed it up lately. I just want you to come. Humble in heart, what does that mean? It means accessible. It means you don't have to graduate to a level of socioeconomic status or religion to make your way into my presence. Just come. Guys, this is not Jesus saying that he has to work his way to being like this toward you. This is who Jesus just is. And some of you need to fix your eyes on the fact that Jesus is not the product of everything that you've done for your entire life. Jesus is Jesus. And in the one moment, Jesus goes, you want to know my heart? You want to know what's really on the inside? I am gentle and humble in heart. I'm always accessible. And I'm inviting you in to give you a rest. Not just a rest physically, a rest, more importantly, for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. ACC, this is good news. And so I, I want to take the next few months and just unpack everything that we possibly can from this. And I want to start it with a sermon called Rest for Your Soul. If you need a title for this sermon, it's called Rest for your soul. Now, a lot of what we're reading in these verses sounds familiar if you've been coming to our church for a while, because we've already done an entire series on these verses. Back in October of 2019, we did a series called Be is Greater Than Do. If you were here for that series, you know that we talked about the fact that Christianity is about being with Jesus rather than doing for Jesus. 
And that just being a child of God and accepting that identity results in the overflow of action that looks like the Christian life. It's a life that's at rest. And so what we talked about back in October is we talked about what it means to have a weary soul. That one of the most dangerous conditions you can find yourself in is when you know your soul is getting weary. It's not necessarily bad to get tired. What's bad is when you know you're weary on the inside. Being tired is actually a good thing. It means you spent a lot on the day you were called to live. Being weary is when you internally are starting to become bitter and starting to lose your joy and purpose in the things that you were called to as a child of God. Weariness is dangerous. And so what we did in that series is we considered all the ways that Jesus calls us to rest our souls and get away from just burning ourselves out on more activity and more activity and more activity. And what we said was that the mark of a weary soul is a hurried spirit. The mark of a weary soul is a hurried spirit. So if you want to know whether or not your soul is weary, how in a hurry is your spirit on a daily basis? How much are you not able to focus on a conversation because you're thinking about the next one? How much are you moving toward different relationships and activities throughout your day and feeling this sense of angst from within you going, I don't know if I can function completely with my attention on everything that it needs to be on because my life has been stacked up with so much. I just can't find rest. And a lot has been said recently about hurry. The best book I've read recently outside of the Bible is called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer, and I recommend it to everybody who's listening to me right now. An incredible book all about Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, and the premise of the book is that humanity was not created to carry this internal weariness. There's, there's a rest in our souls that comes from being close to Jesus. And so I've loved that conversation about rest, and I felt it so relevant in my life personally over the last couple of years. But I feel this tension during COVID-19 because a lot of us in response to this pandemic have experienced a slowdown that hasn't resulted in rest for our souls. Here's what I mean. When you read books like The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry and you read verses like this one, you start thinking, okay, all I need to happen is for life to slow down and then my soul will be at rest. I'm going too fast and I need to slow down. And part of that's true. We all need to slow down to a certain extent. We all need time off. We all need vacations and opportunities to unplug and let ourselves get recharged. Totally granted. But how many of you over the course of the last two months, when every sporting event has been canceled, when all schools have been closed, when many jobs were sent home, when life eliminated more responsibilities and things on your to-do list than ever before, how many of you can honestly say that right now your soul is at rest? See, I think so few of us would say that those circumstances produced a rest in our soul because our soul needs more than a physical stop to truly find rest in Jesus. Some of you, your soul is more weary than ever before, and your schedule has never been more clear. So you thought the whole time life was so busy and so crazy that if you could just delete some responsibilities, you would get some peace of mind, that you would get some rest. But what you found two months later is everything in life could come to a pause, and my soul's still weary. 
We sang that song, why are you so weary, soul? Why are you so downcast? Here's why. The only rest that's available for your soul is on the other side of closeness and rhythm with Jesus. It's not a vacation. It's not simply a pull away from your everyday rhythm. It's a reallocating the resources that God has given you to an everyday rhythm of following Jesus. Jesus is not inviting people away to go, come, get away with me, let me help you recharge and learn some new things, and you'll feel better. No, no, no. That's rest for our physical bodies. Jesus offers a rest for our spiritual souls that requires more than a time out or a quiet time. Here's how I would say it, and we'll put this on the screen. Rest for your body is a break. Rest for your soul is a rhythm. Let that sink in. Rest for your body is a break. Rest for your soul is a rhythm. So when Jesus invites us to come to him, and take all of that weariness and all of those burdens and take his yoke upon us, that is not just, hey, take a break and let me give you some rest, let me get you a water break and let me make sure you're good. Jesus, when he says, take my yoke upon you, and you'll read about this in John Mark Comer's book, he's saying, be one of my apprentices, be a disciple. What does it mean to be a disciple? It means watch everything I do and how I do it and go and do the same thing in your individual context. So you find rest for your soul, not when you delete responsibilities and get a break. You find rest for your soul when you throw away your old rhythms and start adopting the new rhythms, the rhythms of Jesus' life. So now when you read the Bible, it's not about memorizing a bunch of stories and facts. It's about following a risen Savior who said, watch how I live my life and go and do the same thing. And when you watch Jesus live his life, he is never in a hurry. He has more to do than any human being in the history of the world. He has a more critical and urgent mission than every human being who's ever lived combined. And yet, he walks slow, he stares into eyes, he meets needs, he's relationally available, and he's incredibly efficient and effective. I think some of us are afraid of a slowed down lifestyle with Jesus because we think we would sacrifice efficiency. How's this for efficiency? 33, 34 year life, three year ministry, save the world. Are you serious? In that short amount of time, that much got accomplished simply because Jesus understood a rhythm of living relationally with his heavenly father, trusting his father to do what God does and being filled up on the journey for what every day had to offer. I wanna tell some of you, Jesus' invitation to rest for your soul is an invitation to a new rhythm for your everyday life. This is a game changer if you hear what I'm saying. I'm saying that Jesus wants your soul to be at rest by throwing away the way you go about everyday normal life and adopting his everyday practices because the way he lived was at rest in his soul and maximal effect for the kingdom of God. So I do, I do think vacations are important, but I think it's fitting that I'm preaching this message right now because my wife and I were supposed to be out of the country right now on my sabbatical getting that rest that so many of us feel like we need. And we're going to take that trip once all this passes. Trust me, we are taking that trip. And I do think vacations have their rightful place. But here's what I've realized. I've realized that 
No matter how far away you get from your everyday routine and no matter how much gets wiped off your to-do list, if you do not change the rhythm of how you do your everyday life and make it according to how Jesus did his everyday life, your soul will never be at rest. So Jesus says, I've got rest for your soul. It's not just a time out for your body physically. It is, are you tired of running yourself into the ground with more than you can carry? And do you want to learn a brand new way of doing life? My challenge to us this summer, church, is to throw away the rhythms that we've been living by if they have been rooting us in a weary and burdened soul. So if you're listening to me right now and you're, you're totally filled up with joy and your rhythms are working and God's speaking through you and you don't go to sleep at night feeling like, I did so much today, but it wasn't that effective. And you don't feel 10 steps behind every morning when you wake up and like you always need more sleep and you always need more time. If that's, if, if, if that's you, you can go ahead and turn this sermon off and go move on with your amazing rhythm for your life because you got this down. Or better yet, just talk to everybody in the room about how amazing you are at aligning your rhythms with God, God's rhythm for your life. But the vast majority of us would say, no, I'm missing it. I am missing something. I have got to learn the rhythm of how Jesus lived his life. I heard a pastor say this week, he said, the difference is the difference between striving and striding. That when you're striving for something, you are just laboring and doing everything you can to get to a certain point. You're out of breath, and then you're catching your breath long enough to run as hard as you can once again. That's striving. Striding is when you live with long, decisive steps. That's a restful soul. That your steps are maybe slower, but they're calculated. And they're moving you forward to become who God has called you to be and do what God has called you to do. This is not a time for us to look at three verses and get some kind of spiritual therapy during summer 2020. Do not hear me say, we're going to talk about resting our souls for the summer, and we're all going to feel really good at the end of this. No, no, no. This is literally a response to the enemy's onslaught on your life. Weariness comes at a price. And so what's at stake today is not whether or not you find peace of mind. It's not just whether or not you're delivered from anxious thoughts. What's at stake today is the call of God on your life. I'm telling you, the enemy's strategy for pulling you away from everything God has for you, and more than that, pulling you away from communion with Jesus, is to get you weary enough to where you're so numb that all you need is a distraction. You're so disengaged that you're missing out on your purpose, and you're so discouraged that you wouldn't even want to change. That's the enemy strategy for your life, by the way. If you want to read his mail a little bit and find out if there is an enemy to my life spiritually, what does he want to do to me? Here it is. It's threefold. He wants to distract you, he wants to disengage you, and he wants to discourage you. He wants to take your attention off what matters most. He wants to put you on the sidelines and make sure you don't move for the kingdom of God. And more than anything, he wants to steal your joy and make sure you think of your relationship with Jesus as a religion and like you'll never be good enough or move enough. And so what's the fastest way to get you distracted, disengaged, and discouraged? A weary soul will take care of all three of those things. You'll look to more distractions than ever before when you're weary because you just want to take your mind off of all that's clouding and crowding your judgment. 
You'll be disengaged like never before. Trust me, I know this personally. The enemy will sideline you if he can get you weary and burdened. And you'll be so discouraged that the joy that's supposed to come from being in a relationship with the Son of God feels a million miles away. And so if we're going to adjust our rhythm, here's what I want us to do. Let's make our rhythms counter to everything the enemy's trying to advance against us. I want to show you three things that will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. And I want to show you three things that I believe Jesus did better than anybody. That are, This is just going to be the introductory conversation, but this is the key to rest for your soul. It's not another time out. It's not another trip. It's not another moment to catch your breath. I believe when you actually activate your faith and do these things, you're going to find rest for your soul. Look at somebody next to you and say, we got to tune in for this. we got to tune in for this. you got to stay with me on this. Gosh, I miss having you guys in the room because I think this is helping so many people right now. But I'm looking at a camera, and I just trust that the Holy Spirit's doing that. i got three points. Old school ACC sermon today. i got three points. You can write them down if you feel like it. Number one. Here it is. Be focused with your energy. Be focused with your energy. Do not let this become a feel-good sermon or a TED Talk. No, 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 no. When I say be focused with your energy, I mean so many of us have never really taken into account how to spend the limited amount of energy we are given by God on a daily basis. God has created humanity with limitations. We are limited in our physical energy. We are limited in our emotional energy, in our mental energy, in our creative space. And yet we live in a world that tells us to spend all of that energy all day long as fast as we can. And as soon as you run out of one, somehow medicate yourself so that you can get more. So we look to caffeine and we look to all these different pick-me-ups and these ways of trying to cheat our own limitations. But it's all pointless because God has created humanity gloriously to accept their own limitations. You don't believe me? I'm just going to say this point blank, and this is, this is going this is to sound interesting when I say it. If you don't believe me on that, you have to lay dead for a certain amount of hours every single day to live your life. Have you ever thought about how humiliating sleep is? That you literally cannot carry on with life if you don't lay there like you don't even exist for a certain amount of hours. And it doesn't matter if you get four hours of sleep or eight hours of sleep or 12 hours. The action is the same. You literally have to stop yourself entirely. That is God's glorious reminder on a daily basis that you are not God. You do not have unlimited energy, and so you've got to stop and think to yourself, okay, how am I spending the energy God has given me in a way that creates rest in my soul? God did not create humanity to burn out every single day. God created humanity to do what they are called to do in strength and in joy. And the only way to remain in that strength and joy is to actually take into account how has God called me to spend my energy today? I know for me, I'm so guilty of this. I'll get home to spend time with my girls and I'll have no mental capacity left to give to the people who mean the most to me in the world because I haven't been careful about the way I've allocated my energy. I'll just go all out through a physical workout or I'll just go all out through all of these meetings and never even stop to think, is this healthy for my soul? Is this good? You know, Jesus took into account where his energy would be aimed. 
and lived his life for the glory of God, rooted in knowing certain limitations, like Sabbath. People think Sabbath is, okay, well, it's a day where you can't do anything once a week. No, it's a day to remember that God put in motion for us to remember, you know what? We're not God, and we need to stop and we need to celebrate, and we need to recalibrate, and we need to make sure that we have the capacity to do what God has called us to do today for his glory. I listened to a podcast a couple months ago. It changed my life. It's about taking into account your energy levels. Here's what I would encourage you to do, and this is not going to feel spiritual when you do it, but I promise it will yield results in your relationship with God. Take into account throughout your day your different energy levels, mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually. And watch how certain things that you choose to do on a daily basis are actually producing those mindsets. And then when you go to organize the rhythm of your day, organize it according to staying in a healthy balance and up on all of those things. I'm not by any means a counselor. I'm not a doctor. I'm not here to tell you what medications you need to be taking, what you need to be eating and all that stuff. I'm not saying that. I'm saying there is a relationship between the energy that you have creatively, physically, and mentally, and whether or not you're fully engaged in all God has called you to do today. You gotta be focused with your energy. You actually have to take time and accept, I have a limited amount of resources that I've been given by God to live this day, and I'm not gonna spend it by nine o'clock in the morning. Some of the moms in the room are listening to me and they're like, clearly he hasn't raised young kids who are home all day. I get it. But I do think there are some creative ways that you can think through. You know what? I could get help in this area and I could have someone come alongside me for this amount of time so that I can make sure my kids and my family and my friends are getting the best version of me. Number one, be focused with your energy. Number two, you ready for number two? Here it is. Be proactive with your rhythms. Be proactive with your rhythms. Fastest way to get a weary soul is to live a reactive life. The fastest way to get a weary soul is to live a reactive life. Here's what I mean. If you wake up in the morning and your plan for the day is to react to everything that happens that day, you are going to be 10 steps behind the entire day. You ever done that? You ever woken up and already felt behind in the day? Because you didn't aim what you wanted to spend that day on. And so maybe if you're like me, you got to work and you're like, no, I needed a couple more hours this morning because I needed this time with the Lord and I needed to make sure I had this opportunity to do this, this, and this. It's because that day was reactive to what was happening right in front of me. The best thing you can learn how to do for your rhythms is be proactive with them. And you are not hearing this sermon from somebody who's a big planner. Trust me, our staff will tell you, I struggle with making plans ahead of time. There's so many Sundays I show up and go, oh, those are the songs, and that's what we have planned? No, we're going to do this, and we're going to go this way. But being proactive actually creates room for you to be more flexible during the day. It doesn't take it away. When you're proactive with how you're going to spend a given day, now you have first and foremost plotted time with your Heavenly Father because you know if Jesus chose that first, that's got to be first and foremost your priority. How did Jesus live with a restful soul? He made sure his father reminded him of his identity and his purpose every single day. Jesus spent 30 years getting built up by his heavenly father and then his three years of ministry constantly retreating to lonely, solitary places. Why? He needed a rhythm of being alone with God so that he could pay attention throughout the day to every divine interruption that God would bring his way. But Jesus, although he couldn't plan for those interruptions he could plan for his spirit in those interruptions so now if you got your spirit aligned with the heart of God 
and you've taken time to develop rhythms that look like Jesus' life, you know what you've done? You've created the margin. There's a word that we need more of, and I need more of. I'm so guilty. You need the margin in your life to be interrupted. You need the margin in your life to actually notice when you come across someone who's hurting and look into their eyes and say, I see you. One time Jesus was on his way to go heal someone's child and he got stopped on the way there and interrupted by a woman who had been bleeding for years. Perfectly present in the moment, Jesus says, who touched me? And all of his disciples, like many times in their life, are like, Jesus, there's like thousands of people around you right now. Everyone's touching you. What do you mean who touched me? He's like, no, no, no. I felt power go out from within me and I wanna acknowledge that person. Looks a woman in her eyes. While there's a real father waiting for Jesus to come heal his child, Jesus says, stop. I know that's urgent, but I gotta see her. But wait, that made him too late. By the time he got to that home, the child was dead. Good thing Jesus' name is resurrection because when he shows up, it's never over. You're never late when you're on God's timetable. You might be late according to the circumstances, but when Jesus is invited into the rhythm, he can take a little bit. He can take nothing and make it everything. That's how he created the world. And so I want to tell you in this moment, you do not have to be enslaved to a reactive life that always looks like a full schedule. You can be proactive with your rhythm and go, I'm not going to miss time with my father. And I'm not going to go into a given day and just let life happen to me. I'm going to be life and press against the darkness that surrounds me and live the one life I'm called to live, full of rest in my soul. I'm dreaming about the day that my life actually looks like everything I'm saying right now. And the reason why I'm preaching this to you is because I can feel some of these things starting to happen within me and I'm going, yes, what I've needed for the last decade is not a month or a year off. What I've needed for the last decade is to do what Jesus did every day. So be proactive with your rhythm. Think about what you do and how you do it every day and conform it to what Jesus did. I'm not saying you gotta script out everything on a sheet of paper before the day begins, but I am saying you need to live with some sort of intention. And if you're hearing me right now and you're like, that's just too much effort. Okay, here's the price. You go to bed every night knowing that you wasted that day. I hate wastefulness. And if I live a reactive day, I end up going to bed that night. And I know you know what I'm talking about. I go to bed that night and I'm like, no. That day could have been so much more. Yeah, but that day wasn't lost when I woke up that morning. That day was lost the day before when I choose to live aimless. Take into account your rhythms. Here's how we're going to do it. Rest for your soul. It's different than you think. It's different than you think. Be focused with your energy. Be proactive with your rhythms. And lastly, most importantly, be uncompromising with your joy. Be uncompromising with your joy. Jesus in Matthew 11 is pushing a version of knowing him that depends on enjoying a relationship with him. So he's literally saying, in order to follow me, you have to enjoy it and let me do the hard stuff and just come on this journey with me. He's totally shifting what it means to have a relationship with God. And the people 2,000 years ago could barely handle it. And I think you and I, even today, can barely handle it. The enemy wants to get you discouraged. And the best thing you could do on a daily basis in your one-on-one -on -one relationship with God is learn how to stir your affection for Jesus again.
If you don't know what I mean by stir your affection for Jesus, it means learning what it means to have a relationship with God where you can start recalibrating your heart and emotions around what's been true about you all along. And the main way that I've been learning how to do that is being convinced in the Bible of Jesus' disposition toward me regardless of what I've done lately. Here's what I mean. Every time you have ever come into the presence of God, you have been invited, you have been welcomed, and the work has been done for you ahead of time. All Jesus wants when you come into his presence is you. And I'll wake up in the morning so discouraged, not even knowing why sometimes. I'll wake up anxious. Some of you who are struggling with depression, you know what I'm talking about times a million because you're going, I can't get out of my own mind. I listened to a song this week that just asked a question over and over and over again. It says, what would you do if he walked into the room? And I'll start to think about how much everything I've assumed about God's disposition toward me is actually not true. And I'll picture Jesus walking into the literal room that I am in and all of a sudden I find my joy returning to me because I'm going, what am I gonna say in that moment? Am I really? going to shame the cross by apologizing for things that he's already forgiven me for? Am I really going to waste that moment going, wait, you're here. We need to get on good terms. Or would I just fall on my face and go, thank you that we're on the best terms and that's never going to change because of you? Thank you that joy can overflow when it feels like sin is increasing, grace has increased all the more. Thank you. Don't ever compromise your joy, ACC. The Bible is clear. You, need, you can be a human being. You can go through dark seasons. You can cry. You can struggle. But the Bible is clear. Thankfulness and joyfulness is not reserved to a set of circumstances. It is a state of your spirit when things are good and when they're bad. When there's richness or when there's poverty. When there's sickness or when there's health. My soul can find joy in Jesus because here's the good news. It's over. The story's been written. Jesus wins is not the headline we're hoping for. It's already been sealed. He's done that for humanity, but he's also done that for your life. And so now joy overflows when he goes, take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. What can I learn from Jesus' rhythms? You can learn that you got nothing to prove. We're going to sing a song in this moment. It says, I make room for you, God, to do whatever you want to. As you're singing this song, I do not want this to be a cool song that we sang to end the service. I want this to be the cry of your heart going, I'll make room on my schedule, Jesus, for you to do whatever you want to. I'll make room in my rhythms. I'll make room with how I think about how I spend my days because I want rest for my soul. You want to know why? Because Jesus' way is better. Rest is better, and it's yours in him today. Would you just bow your head? Would you just close your eyes right where you are right now? If you're in a space 
where it's safe for you to just get a moment between you and God. Close your eyes, and I want you to think about your Savior in this moment. I want to pray for you, and I want to ask that as I pray, if you've never said yes to a relationship with Jesus, the offer is on the table. He's done all the work to come down for you, to die for you, to create a way for you. He says, come to me. If you're weary, if you're burdened, come on. I'm gentle, humble in heart. He's available, say yes. But if you're listening to me right now and you know the rhythms of your life have not been lived according to the rhythms of Jesus, I want you to pray and I want you to commit to activating a life that looks like rest. Let's never go back to burning ourselves out on trying to do and do and do. Let's be the children of God we're called to be. We pray for you. Heavenly Father, I pray in this moment that everything would be surrendered to you. I pray in Jesus' name that schedules and the way we go about our lives would be at your throne and we would say, God, we're tired of doing this our own way. Your way is so much better. So we say yes to your rhythm. We say yes to how you live, God. We say yes to our own limitations. We're not God and that's a great thing. So God, would you come and deliver the rest for our souls that you promised? Would you come and meet people in the midst of anxiety and fear and worry? And would you provide a calm that comes from knowing that you're close by? We make room for you in this moment, God. We lay it down. We surrender in Jesus' name. Amen.